The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll, and it's Friday. So let's turn it over to Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Duff McKagan and the patented joke of the week. Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling here. Hope you're doing well. Hope everybody's doing well. Listen, um, two cows, they were sitting in a, in a field, and one says uh, to the other, Hey, man, I've been hearing of the bad stuff lately, this mad cow disease. Is that worrying you at all? The other, car, the other cow starts to spin around. His hooves extended out and says, not me, pal. I'm a helicopter. Thank you very much. Had to think about that one. I'm still not sure I completely get it. But thanks to Duff for continuing to deliver every Friday like clockwork. We appreciate the laughs and we appreciate you. You're going to have some great laughs in Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea. Five Alive set sail from Miami on January 26th. We are sold out. It's going to be such a great time. We're loaded with talent, comedy, music, tons of great wrestling, including uh, Speedball Jericho, Big Paul White, Chris Jericho, and Speedball Mike Bailey versus the Don Callis family of Mark Davis, Kyle Fletcher, and Will Hobbs. So many other great matches coming up. Michael Oku versus Mike Bailey uh, to see who uh, Matt Cardona is going to face for the Jericho Oceanic Cruise Championship. And of course, we've got Top Flight and Action Andretti versus Vikingo Commander and Penta Zero M. It's going to be insane. Yeah, we're so excited. Um, if you want to still try, you can go on the wait list at ChrisJerichoCruise.com, but you are running out of time. It is going to be a rock and roll party for sure. And speaking of rock and roll parties, Fozzie's headed back to the UK in February. Spotlight on the UK tour kicks off February 16th in Cardiff, Wales. It just got changed. Go to fuzzyrock.com for all information. Wraps up uh, February 26th in Northampton, England. We're doing the meet and greets VIP at every show. We'll meet you, take pictures with you, sign whatever you want, play a mini set for you, even let you sing if you so desire. All ticket information and VIP information is at fuzzyrock.com. We'll see you there. All right, today on the show, I got Jeff Waldridge and Toby Kurtzinger. Jeff, you might remember from the pod we recorded at the Haunted Anderson Hotel outside of Lexington, Kentucky uh, last year. And if Toby's name sounds familiar, it's because he was featured in the Netflix documentary Heist. Toby is the guy who in 2013 was accused of stealing a half million dollars in expensive Pappy Van Winkle bourbon from Buffalo Trace, the Kentucky's distillery that he'd worked at since 1988, became 
known as Pappy Gate because Jeff Waldron is from the same area. He's known Toby for years. Jeff worked in law enforcement at the time, and as you'll hear, was actually the officer who booked Toby when he was arrested. So Toby and Jeff tell Toby's story in great detail. They outline the culture of the bourbon business, recount all of the events leading up to and after Toby's arrest and conviction, and explain how Kentucky politics factored into Toby's case. Toby maintains his innocence about the missing and expensive Pappy Van Winkle bourbon bottles and shares his thoughts on why he thinks he was targeted the way he was. And if you want to meet Toby and hear some of the story directly from him, book one of his tours. He's running the Bourbon King Tour in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky, where he takes you on a tour of all your favorite distilleries. Book at bourbonbarrelcottages.com. That's the story. And here we get ready for Pappygate, the great bourbon heist, with the bourbon king himself, Toby Kurtzinger, and the returning Jeff Waldridge, right here, right now on Talk is Jericho. Pour yourself a shot, sit back, and enjoy the show. All right, so um, a few, I guess maybe a few months ago or six months ago or whatever it was, uh, had a little excursion to the uh, Anderson Hotel just outside of Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, John Waldridge kind of hooked that up. And uh, we had such a good time, we decided what can we do to meet up again? And you had the idea to talk about the bourbon heist, Pappy Gate, something that I knew nothing about until I started looking into it. Well, that's why I figured it'd be a great thing for you. So, you know, I said that, I said Chris would probably enjoy it. So, well, absolutely, dude. And Toby Kurtzinger is with us here um, as well. And this kind of uh, is all described and talked about uh, on the Netflix show Heist. It's kind of just kicking things off. How did you think that the documentary went, Toby, with with your story and then the whole tale of Pappy Gate? I think it went pretty good because uh, it gave it gave myself, my wife, and my mom and dad what you've seen. And one of my real good friends was the only one that would talk to the media. But it gave us uh, kind of a little bit of our side because uh, the whole time this was going on, the former sheriff and the Commonwealth attorney controlled the narrative of the story. So they kind of controlled whatever went in the media, which if you lived around here, you would have seen it. They basically crucified me for about two years, man. It was every day there was something on. Mm. There was it got to the point where there were so many things which, you know, you hear this fake news and you know, I and I tell a lot of people I wasn't an innocent person, but there was a lot of stuff that was stretched and a lot of stuff wasn't true. But the game I'm understanding is hammer the person into submission. And I, I understand things a lot clearly now. You know, we we had several hours on the like far as interviews and everything. I wish everything could have come out, but the actual documentary probably covers about twenty percent of it total. There's wow. a lot more interesting stuff that we didn't get to get into. Well, that's why you're here today. I want to hear the whole story of of Pappy Gate. And first of all, is this Lexington proper, or what, what part of the country was this in? Frankfurt, the state capital. Gotcha, Frankfurt. Been there, been there many times. Well, why don't we start from the start, uh, Toby? Kind of tell me how you got involved in all this, and what. And for people that don't know what exactly Pappy Gate is, and kind of the bourbon heist and all that sort of thing. Well, one of the things I tell a lot of people, which uh, I work with a guy now, we have a we he's got some bourbon barrel cottages here in Lawrenceburg, and we do tours. And that's usually how I start out my tours. I kind of give some information about how bourbon came to be. But growing up around here, bourbon was everywhere. I had relatives, you know, we had friends. You know, there were so many distilleries and things. So bourbon, I think we kind of get numb to the to actual seeing and hearing about bourbon, but it's really a blessing to our state and our country as far as finances. 
But, you know, starting out, I, that wasn't my plan to work at a distillery. I actually went to a, a small college on a baseball scholarship, kind of was a little homesick country boy and, and uh, mm-hmm. got to fill an application out at the time, was uh, Age International and uh, got employment. The personnel manager's wife was friends with my mom. So I started in uh, December of 88, started out making $7.51 an hour, which was good money then. <laughs> you sure? And uh, it was real slow at the time. Bourbon wasn't, uh, wasn't real hot like it is now. I think there was like 40 employees at the distillery, and I was at the bottom of the pole, started out in the warehouse. I was in there for like two years. And uh, Blanton's, which if you've ever heard of it, first single barrel, it started in 84. And kind of things kind of picked up a little bit. But uh, the company sold out to the Japanese. Japanese turned around and sold it to Sazerac, which is out of New Orleans, the gold ring family owns. And uh, when they took over, they brought all of their products, which was included a lot of tequilas, vodkas, cordials, rums. I mean, they had everything. And when it came to Frankfurt, it kind of created a lot of jobs. So things you know, picked up from there. I went from uh, the warehouse, uh, worked in Blanton's, uh, the single barrel there for about a year on second shift, then went to the bottling house. Then back to when they uh, were the Blanton single barrel is now for about four years. Then I went into shipping. So when I went into shipping, uh, that's when the Sazerac took over. We started getting a lot of their stuff in and more employees. And a lot of people asked me, like, well, what about the drinking and stuff at, at the distilleries? I was like, well, my sec- first day there, you know, we go up into the warehouse at the end of the day to put the barrels up. And uh, they've all got these little three ounce cups and they're passing out bourbon. And I was only 19. And. You know, my dad was a World War II vet, or my granddad, and he he drank a lot, and I just never cared much for bourbon. But it was like, here's yours, and I'm sitting here, it's like, man, I don't drink. And all those guys, you know, good dudes, but later on, you know, tobacco running down their jaws and stuff, and they're all <laughs> looking at me. I'm like, I was like, shit, man, I better drink this. So I turned it up, and, you know, I didn't drink, and it felt like a blowtorch going down my throat. And uh, the old guy, Mr. Charlie Cheek, he was like, good stuff, and. And then it just got a habit, you know, you want to fit in. So, you know, every day, people, you know, we would drink. You know, there was barrels on every floor that they knew which ones tasted the best. And that's what we drank during the day. And it kind of, you know, went under there. And, you know, hell, it got to the point there. I was still young going to, you know, high school football games, stuff with my buddies. And I got to the point where I could almost drink a fifth a night. I told, I told myself, I was like, man, I need to slow my roll. I said, this is no good. Mm-hmm. But as I got into shipping, we had a lot more stuff. But, and the thing, you know, I try to, to express to everyone. People drank on the job, bottles were filled and took out. It was a thing that was known. You weren't, it was one of those things like, you know, you're not supposed to do it, but it happened. Every distillery does it. I've, over the years, I've made friends at all the local distilleries. You know, people's got barrel whiskey. And at the time, they used to give away bottles, which they don't now. And when we got into shipping, it was basically the same stuff. Everything was available. I mean, anything you wanted. And, you know, anytime something, you know, far as, you know, a chance of uh, coming off inventory, you know, it could either be breakage or, you know, the distilleries get a certain tax cut each year on breakage. So nothing ever got reported or anything. And, they, you know, they knew people was taking stuff to drink. Even super, I've seen supervisors load their cars up on the weekends. I've seen guards take it and put it in their cars as they was making their rounds. And that's, that's just the way it was. It was a culture of it. But it got to the point where I was uh, pretty good in softball, and I was very fortunate to get on some good teams that were sponsored by, you know, once Louisville Slugger and Worth, and, you know, we had good sponsors that paid for our rooms, our travel, and all that. Well, 
if you know anything about sports, people like to drink. So all my buddies like to drink. And I worked in a place where, you know, I had desirable things. So I would take bottles on the weekends, you know, and we'd drink and I'd give them to friends around where I lived at and stuff. And it got to the point where it was getting a little bit too much. And I had some stuff at the house once. And uh, when my buddies came over, he took a bottle with him, come back, said, I got some guys that want to buy what you got. And I was like, man, I'm not getting into that. I said, you know, I'll give you a couple bottles. Mm-hmm. So in the Netflix, thing, if you see, he drops a big wad of cash. I mean, it was a lot. And I'm sitting there looking because, you know, uh, we had just uh, had our son and real estate had kind of went down the drains and I was kind of footing the bill for everything. So this really helped my family a lot. So the devil tempted me and I took it. <laughs> mm. So it started there and it, man, it's just, it's, it's hard to explain. It's just like, like, you know, always hear that snowball effect. Then you got more and then you more opportunity. People's wanting this, people's wanting that. We got to point chipping. I was like, man, I got to get out of here. because Something's going to happen. So I bid out and I went over to processing where I was. Uh, my, my main job was I'd done cordials. I'd done like Firefly sweet tea, the flavored vodkas, uh, some of the rums, uh, the uh, Herb Saint, which is a uh, like an absinthe. I'd done uh, bitters, things like that. So I was out of the game, so to speak. Then I had some friends that still worked in shipping. I had one of my buddies come over. He's like, man, you still got your connections. I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like... Well, we've got some stuff we're getting out and we uh, we can't get rid of it all. You know, anybody want him. I'm like, dude, I said, I got thinking. I was like, because I had people constantly calling me and I thought about it. And I thought about it. I was like, well, hell, I'm not taking it. So what's the deal? I was like, sure, I help you. So that really got big time. I don't know how they were getting it and it never come up missing. But, d- dude, it was like I'm talking cases after cases. A lot of it was the people around town where my wife was a realtor and I worked out in the gym and I played softball there in, in Frankfurt. Knew a lot of rich people, knew people with a lot of money, a lot of connections, and it wasn't anything if back then your 20-year Van Winkle, you know, it was hundred bucks on the shelf. Now you can't touch it for under three grand. So, you know, back then you could 12 bottles, you could get a little bit for nothing. It was what was in a case. So it went from that. Let me just ask you, let me ask you just a quick question, Toby. And how, how did you have access to all of this uh, very expensive bourbon? Well, at the time when I was in shipping, when you go into the warehouse, you know, they had the, the racking system and you was on a forklift and it was just right there whenever you pulled cases. Gotcha. So you could skim a case off the top, for example, oh, yeah, 10 cases and I'll take one sort of thing. That's what people don't understand. Like I've done work with Wild Turkey on like paranormal tours and things, and they let you just go in the warehouses where the whole barrels are. And I had to call them one time because one of these barrels was just leaking. I mean, just pouring pure liquor out of it. And they were like, ah, we don't really care. It'll be fine. Somebody will find it tomorrow. Wow. So, I mean, you know, it's one of those systems where they make so much bourbon they don't miss it, and and and, and, and it just goes, it just goes. That's right, and they and they have losses, and uh, a lot of times, you know, when they take, when they bring barrels out, a lot of times you will have empties, and they'll just write it out because you know there's, I don't know the fine details, but there is tax credits and all that. Gotcha. The only thing that was actually locked up in a cage was things that came in from out of out of country that was still uh, hadn't had the taxes paid on it, so that had to be in a locked up place, a designated area. But as far as like all of our expensive tequilas. Uh, all of the Van Winkles were all right there on the shelf. I mean, you know, at the time in shipping, which uh, there were state buildings right next to us, there was numerous times, you know, there would be people walking in the building. I'm like, who are you? Oh, we, we just wondered what was in here. You know, our supervisors would always tell us, if you guys want a bottle, 
if there's nothing in the rem- in the remnants room where when cases would come over at the end of the day, like if it was 11 bottles and it's supposed to be 12, they'd put it in a remnants room. If you can't find it in there, if you take something out of a case, just take the case over and tell us you broke a bottle. And I've had supervisors, I'd say, hey, man, I need a couple cases of this rain vodka for the weekend. Okay, how many you need? Two. Write it off. Two cases broke. All right, here you go. Take it. Things like that work. That's mm, stuff gotcha. You tell you if you went down and asked them, but I'm telling you it happened. This is this has been going on for decades. Oh yeah, and these, this, this is every distillery in Kentucky. Probably not as much now. Not, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Toby kind of stopped a lot of that, but you know it's but, been going on for. I, I remember being a you know a child and knowing people that worked in distilleries and they always had liquor. I mean, it's just the way that it was. They could always get it. Didn't really matter. It was just like it free flowed out of all the all the places. Yeah, it was there. And you know, in in, in the shipping department then, and like I said, it we had some pretty lenient supervisors and like I said, everybody took their share. It's kind of the old thing, everybody's doing it, and we keep everything in house so it doesn't get out to the public, get the ATF in here because they got real lenient there. I, I can remember some of the older guys telling me before they could go into a warehouse, they had to have three guys, a, a union representative, a company representative, and a government official. There was three locks on every warehouse that had to be unlocked. The government counted every barrel that came out. That went wayside. Now, I don't even think they know what they have. But getting back to the shipping, shipping was so open. I mean, I know people that have went in there and filled the back of their trucks up to pay their utility bills, to pay for getting their cars fixed. There was one guy, we always wondered because he had real bad credit, he'd come in in a new truck one day. And I was like, how in the hell did he get that with his credit? So I was actually looking for a truck and I knew the guy where he got it. So I went up, uh, I looked on his desk and he had he had a couple of bottles of one of our real fine single bourbons. And I, was, I asked him, I was like, so you like that? He said, I got a guy that I can get 20 or 30 cases at a time of this. So then I found out he took 30 cases of this one single barrel and used it as a down payment to get this truck. Jeez. That's a true statement. <laughs> but I'm not going to call any names because uh, I don't want to get the man. He still works there. <laughs> Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. So, so let's talk about the, how did this start to escalate from you? Cause right now you're, 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 you've got a, a bottle here and a barrel there, but w- what's the next step to really taking it to the next level? Okay. I'm going to get to the barrels real quick. So the couple of buddies of mine wound up getting out of shipping, you know, people were still hitting me up. So I had a friend that worked at wild Turkey and uh, he always, I, I wanted to, I had another guy that was from New Orleans that liked wild Turkey. And I said, man, can I get some wild Turkey? So he brought me a five gallon jug full of wild Turkey barrel whiskey. So I'm like, damn, I said, Master, he said, well, I'd get you a whole barrel if you want it. I'm like a whole barrel. He's like, yeah. I was like, so that's how that started. It went from one to two to three fast forward. I had five in behind my house, but they were actually weren't on my property. So back then, uh, if you was a bourbon lover and you knew me, you could have got you 45 gallons. And, you know, everybody asked me, did it come from wild turkey? I don't know for a fact. I know the barrels, but wild turkey still to this day has no missing bourbon or no signs of any break-ins. That's one of the things with the case. Hmm. But you could have got you a barrel of whiskey for about a thousand bucks. 
Wow. <laughs> and there's many mason jars. Yes. Sir. Right. <laughs> uh, across uh, the, the south. And, and I know as far as Texas that I've known of. But I never took anything out yeah. of state. So Not somebody me. was buying barrels and they were they were bootlegging that liquor across across state lines. It went from that to actually I went to work that day. My wife owns a gym and I'd got back in. I just uh, a year before that I, I had tore a rotator on my on my left side and uh, I was in there just I was doing some shoulder workouts. I was doing some declines and my phone rang. And it was my neighbor down the road. She said, I just want to let you know. She said, there are sheriff's deputies all over your yard. And I was like, oh, shit. So my wife comes in there. She was like, here, mom's on the phone. She said, there's cops all over the house. You know why? And I said, let me talk to her. And my mother-in-law said, Toby said, here, somebody wants to talk to you. And he went, Toby. I said, yeah, uh, it's a Sheriff Melton. Where are you at? And I said, I'm at the gym working out. He said, well, you need to get on home. So I'm sitting there thinking to myself. I said, oh. So my wife, she was oblivious. She had no idea. So I had my son in the truck on the way home. Uh, one of my real good friends was a, a city cop. So I was trying to call him to find out if he knew anything, but he was on SWAT detail. Jeez. So I get home and there they are. So they grab me, pull me aside. You know anything about these barrels and all this kind of stuff? And they're like, before you even say anything, they said, we know who gave them to you. We know where you got them. And I'm like, what? So, I, you know, I was sitting there talking. Pat, the sheriff, he's sitting there. He was like, uh, you know anything about the Van Winkle? Because in 2013, there was a new supervisor in shipping. So one of the boys went to, uh, he had an order for Van Winkle, so he couldn't fill it. So he had to go. And I didn't know this either. They had moved it to a another warehouse on the second floor, locked up in a cage. So when he goes over to get it, he sets a pallet down and notices cases missing in, in the middle of the pallet. So he notifies the supervisor. The supervisor freaks out and calls the sheriff's department and said they've had a break-in. That's where it all got crazy because they've always kept it in house if i'm not mistaken i think a little bit after that that supervisor was fired okay and that launch pappy gate that launch pappy gate he comes in he gets on he uh he was affiliate he, he used to work with this lady that's in uh lexington news station gets on we've had a serious crime here in frankfurt uh mm -hmm. some extremely very rare hard to get Bourbon has come up missing the Pappy Van Winkle. Well, man, that went through the roof. New people start. He started contacting all these news agencies. Next thing you know, it went crazy. International. International. Oh, wow. You know, he was on there and they were they was offering $10,000 interviewing all these people. And we were talking about it over. I was like, man, I was like, whoever they find out done that, they're going to friggin' screw on that deal. So the whole time we're sitting here and uh, just kind of so kind of fast forward there a little bit. But that's what he asked me. He was like you know anything about this Van Winkle? And I said, no. I said, dude, I don't know anything about that. And he was like, well, if you can tell me anything, he said, I'll make all this disappear. And I looked at him. I said, all he said, I can make it disappear just like that. And I said, well, I don't know, man. I said, I don't know anything for sure. So, uh, which, you know, they had a search warrant for my house. They opened my safe up. I had like $3,700. I had six bottles of steroids. So they got me for all, they charged me with everything they could. And not only that, which they didn't that night. So I got arrested that night. So I got out the next day and dude, I'm telling you, I went in, they had me chained up to three other guys. And I'm like, what in the hell is going on? I go in there and there is cameras everywhere. They done called the press. Mm. Man, I dude, it was ridiculous. People traveled from overseas yeah. to cover this. Kind of like you come out on the, the Monday night nitro and they got all the cameras on you. <laughs> but uh, it was literally, there was literally reporters. That traveled from overseas. They couldn't speak English. This. They couldn't speak English. 
<laughs> so that that initiated all of it, man. And uh, my mother-in-law lives right below us. So she was telling us, she said, well, she, she said, I seen them at your house all day. So that was another little thing. So they never formally charged me with it, but they misled the public thinking I was the one that took the 2013 and a local reporter at the time named, he dubbed it Pappy Gate after the deflate gate from Tom Brady. It's true, of course. And it caught fire, dude. And I'm telling you, I tell a lot of people, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm from, well, me and Jeff's from the same town, Lawrenceburg here. Small, went to a small school, graduated 26 people. Yeah, I played a lot of ball in a lot of states, you know, around, been a lot of places. But if you knew me, I'm I'm like one of your childhood friends. I'm as down home. I treat everybody the same, and I don't. I never was on social media. But I said, this stuff is on the internet to the end of time. It wasn't just here in our state. It wasn't just here in our – I said, this stuff was all the way around the world on, on TV. I had people in the military saying, dude, we've seen this over in Afghanistan. I'm like, are you serious? It was crazy. <laughs> we've heard he's very popular in India. Yeah. So. It, uh, <laughs> when the documentary came out, came out, that's what our producer said. He said, if you guys went over and got off a plane in India, I said, you'd be like a rock star. And I'm like, what? He said, it was number one show over in India for months. Let's go to Bollywood. Yeah, that's crazy. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. So with all these, uh, you know, the, the, the media, it's, it's, it's Sheriff Melton was, was, was the guy. And it seems like he wanted to kind of make you a little bit of a scapegoat in this. Uh, would you feel that's kind of the case? It was election year. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff's got so, See, I've got both sides. I, you know, I just retired from, from county law enforcement in Frankfurt. So I've seen both sides of things. And that's kind of what brings me into the story. When Toby came into the jail, I was the first person to pat him <laughs> down. And I told him that when we when we first got together, I said, Toby, you, uh, you probably don't remember it. But I said, when you got locked up, I said, I remember you coming in. And I said, what they got you for? Because I'd known Toby around town. And he said, well, they're trying to pin that pappy on me. And I was like, what? Because, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the way they had made it out to be was like it was a big, you know, Al Capone operation. It was crazy. Man. Uh, I mean, they literally tried to charge him with organized crime and all that's this what other the, stuff. That's what they initially did. But the, yep. the other side of the fence, it was an election year. So, I mean, the sheriff had guaranteed that they would find somebody. You know, they would solve this case is what they said. This went on for, I mean. Three years. Yeah, three years before they ever even got anything. Yeah. And then they got a tip that led them to Toby and then. No, yeah, well, you that know. was two years. It's two. Yeah, yeah, and it. They said it was an anonymous tip, but kind of jumping around a little bit. I, during this whole time, I was called over to the Lexington office. I was talking to the to the FBI the whole time, and I, I'm gonna say if I can say this correctly, from my understanding, talking to the feds, there was a criminal corruption investigation against the sheriff, former sheriff, and deputies in the Franklin County Sheriff's Department. Some of the sitting judges downtown and the Commonwealth Attorney's Office, actually Zach Becker, from my understanding, and the meetings that I had, which we talked about a lot of stuff. I can get the former FBI agent, which 
I kind of know pretty good now. And he's, he said he'd go on record and could say certain things, but everything I told him came out true. They were on them so bad. But the, the thing with thing about the former sheriff, a lot of people don't understand. He had his hands in everybody's pocket and he had dirt on so many people. They never could turn anyone because if one person turned, he was going to burn them all. But what, what he didn't count on is when all this came out, if you watch the documentary and I played it, I mean, he is a media whore. He loved the camera. And that hung him because he went out. And what happened, the distilleries tightened up and all your, which Frankfurt's a small town, but it's it's political. So that there went everybody's liquor. It all dried up. All the distilleries started watching and it pissed a lot of people off. So when he ran for that third term, he didn't even win a priest ring. He got crushed. And I'll tell you something that's weird about it. Toby probably made a wise choice. Toby had a very high list of clients. So it was it was not just low folks. It was, gotcha. you know. It was very, very, very influential individuals that he was, you know, that were his client list. So people were very nervous when all that went down. And you had a lot of situations where they had to give immunity to people if they turned in some of this liquor because they were people that were not wanting to face time or not wanting their names in the media, judges and things like that. Some of them were signing the checks for the sheriff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And the Commonwealth attorney. (laughs) Rumor has, I, mean, I got to say this, right? Rumor has when uh, former Governor Steve Bashir got moved out of the governor's mansion, the state police took a barrel out of his basement. <laughs> but, but, but also in the documentary, it describes that for you, it wasn't just the bourbon that you were moving. It kind of expanded to other things. Yeah, man. Listen, I'm not saying I'm not putting you on this spot. Here's the thing. They take the steroids on there just to help. They said, we'll knock this down if you plead to this. And I fought it for a long time until I ran out of money. It's like this right here. I got a friend of mine that I thought was my friend, got me into lifting. And because I played basketball and baseball, never did lift. He got me into lifting. Well, next thing you know, we were down going down to Padre Island on spring break. Well, then we go over, which he'd been before. Then he got me to dabbling in steroids. And, you know, it was always a little thing with us. Everybody's like, oh, they're, but, you know, it's one of the things that, oh, whatever. Because, you know, you, at work, you got a certain drug test you take. It doesn't show steroids. It just shows barbiturates and stuff like that. So I wasn't worried about that. But, yeah, over the years, yeah, I, I tell you, I, you know, I always wouldn't say it to my mom and dad. But when all that came out, what could I say? So I was like, yeah, I, said, I dabbled in them. But the thing, you know, they tried to put that trafficking junk on me. But here was the thing. If me and Jeff worked out in the gym together and Jeff comes up and says, look, man, just between us, I need a little something to help me out. Is there anything that, you know, and I'd, I'd maybe play around a little bit and then I'd say, hey, look, come on. I think this is what you need. If this is what you, I said, I could probably help you out. I said, I'll see what I can do for you. That's the way that it wasn't me going out here. Hey, I got this. You need to buy this. The key on this that, that really got my wife, they charged my wife with shit that just because she was married to me, put pressure on me. I didn't order anything. A state trooper and a city cop were the ones that ordered everything. They sent it to my house. All that shit was on my records on the phone. I got charged with trafficking steroids. Guess what they got? What's that? Eh. <laughs> Not a damn thing. My the but my friend at work they got new jobs. Yeah, my buddy. Yeah, they got new jobs. Uh, my buddy that worked at the city police. He uh, he's now chief of police, making more money than ever, which, you know, dude, nobody wanted to be in this spot. And I understand, you know, and after everything started settling down and we done our play, then, you know, I get to hearing stuff like I ratted on them. And that's one thing I want to make clear. I'm not a rat. I didn't rat on anybody. I took it in the chin. The only thing I really, really bothers me is what it done to my kids. My kids were in therapy for five years 
it really stressed my marriage out. I'm so fortunate my wife stuck with me. We're still married. Yeah, times aren't great, but we're, you know, we're back on the rebound and, and we've had a lot of support. And the Netflix documentary kind of opened everybody's eyes up to a little thing. But hopefully there's going to be things come out in the future that'll hold some more light on it. Like I said, I, I wasn't a saint. Was I doing stuff I shouldn't have been? Yeah. And I'm not pointing the finger, but there was a lot of other people doing things. But that's fine. But the special agent told me, he said, he said, here's the thing, man. He said, yeah, you you weren't innocent. He said, but they needed the fall guy. And he said, you were the scapegoat. And I was like, dude, I don't want to look at it. And he said, no, listen to me. He said, I'm not saying you was in. He said, but with all that stuff that was going on and he made that claim, I'm going to solve this and all this. He said they had to have somebody. He said, dude, and you fell right in his lap. And it wasn't an anonymous tip. Come out to one of my so-called friends for 26 years, ratted us out. Ratted you out for, you know. Told told them that I had the barrels at the house. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. So when you get arrested and, and now you are getting convicted, are you going to trial? Kind of tell us, talk us through that. Well, we they, we kept fighting it because we, we went through a suppression hearing. We went through that and my mother-in-law got up and the, the three detectives got up and told like three different stories about how they went on on a property, they have curtilage and all this. So when she gets up, she sits there and, and they show up, you know, a diagram of the area. She described each detective. She described what they were driving, what times they were there and everything. So when the judge came out with his order, he said, now this, see, this is what gets me. He said, even though the defendant had an eyewitness that placed the detectives on the property prior to the search warrant, they did not see any alleged evidence till the third time they were at the property when they pulled up behind the house and the barrels were readily viewable. I said, okay, so hold on a minute. So you're saying all three detectives just lied on the stand. You don't believe what they said. You believe my mother-in-law. But now you're going to choose to believe them by saying they pulled up behind the house and they were readily viewable because they got on the stand and said when they pulled up, they could smell finished product. Then they could look over and they seen the barrels and all that. But now, if you look in the documentary, they told on herself. They showed where they uncovered the barrels. There was pictures of the barrels that were covered and all this. One of the things that I went back and I talked to someone on this, and and I'm going to try to put this in layman's term that a lot of people don't understand. A law enforcement officer can get on the stand and lie his ass off. If the Commonwealth attorney knows it, the judge knows it, and even after I found out your attorney knows it, but no one pushes the envelope, they can get away with it until... Two years later, after the two years is up, they can get on Netflix and say, no, this is actually what we've done, and you can't do anything to them. Wow. That is fact. The feds told me that because I was going to go after the sheriff for going on and doing but they said I couldn't because it's a two-year limit. But there was a lot of people that did not want this to go to trial. Buffalo Trace and- uh, Wild Turkey wanted <laughs> no. it to go away. They didn't. Hey, look, check this out, man. Buffalo Trace and Wild Turkey never pressed charges against me. They wanted to go the away. The sheriff and the uh, assistant commonwealth. Why Why did Buffalo Chase and Wild Turkey want it to go away? They did bad publicity. Here's the facts. Uh, you know, bad publicity at the time, but here's the facts. The only thing ever reported missing was a 2013 Van Winkle. They never found any. And you've seen the documentary. 
Then they had a man that admitted to taking it. Okay, so I didn't have any. The barrels that were recovered behind my house, but not on my property, they said it was consistent with wild turkey, but they couldn't actually say it was wild turkey. Wild turkey out of in and out of house inventories has no missing product or no sign of any break in. So what are you charging me with? Right. Well, what did they charge you with? Oh, they, I, I wound up having, after I ran out of money, they come at me with like wolves. I had to wind up, uh, after he denied that suppression here, and I told my wife, I said, I'm screwed. I'm going to do the best thing I can do, which 30 days in jail was on the table from the get-go. So it was like misdemeanors for the steroids, and I had to take a, a D felony from Wild Turkey and a D felony from Buffalo Trace, in which I didn't even work at Wild Turkey. I finished that five-year uh, probation up. I'd done the 30 days. And my attorney told me after the five years, I could have everything expunged, which was a lie. So I got to wait another five years unless I get a presidential or a governor's pardon. And they wanted to give you 15 years or so, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, they was wanting to hammer me. And see what was kind of crazy. There was another case going on. There was a guy here in town who was a former constable that had a had an investigation. He was a private eye. They had kidnapped this boy, questioned him. Well, this girl comes forward. She'd been in and out of jail it was talking about how she was prostituted out when she was a youth football cheerleader at 13. And uh, he kept her as a prostitute and all this stuff. It come out. It was one of the detectives dads. So he had all this stuff. They never charged him with human trafficking. Anything. Here's what he got on this deal. And see, he was getting ready to drop the bomb. He had a book. He, he had like judges. He had law, top lawyers. He had senators, representatives. So he got three years probation, a $5,000 fine, and apologized. That's all he got out of this deal. And I was told by somebody really close to the judges, I was traded for this man. And I was like, I don't understand. He was getting ready to drop the bomb on downtown Frankfurt. So my lawyer kind of persuaded me to go ahead and take this deal for a win-win for everybody. It's crazy how these things play out. Which Jeff knows a lot of stuff, too, that he enlightened me on. <laughs> hey, so, I mean, you know, I got to see both sides. You know, it's, it's interesting when you get into stuff because a city like Frankfurt, being the capital city, it's very political. You're going to have people that, that want to make sure that they're taken care of or that's always, you know, take care of this person. They'll take care of you type situation. And in Toby's case, he, he wouldn't tell on anybody. But I do, you know, for a fact, there were police officers and everything else that had to retire because they were involved. They were sweating hard. Yeah, they were sweating. Mm. Nobody wanted this to go to trial because if it went to trial, then everybody's going to be exposed for everything. They had all the records, all the phone numbers, and uh, there was a lot of nervous people that turned in a lot of liquor in Franklin County. There was some stuff people were turning in. They didn't even know what it was. I guess everybody was freaking out. You know, that was one of the things, too. They had judges in other counties and police chiefs were turning barrels in, never got charged. I, there was once I came out of Walmart and uh, there was this little, I thought it was just a flyer. And it was basically, I considered it a death threat. I still have it. There was talk of a plea deal. And I, I'd only talked to it with my attorney. And I, it was said, we're we here. You're going to make a plea deal with a list of names and contacts and all that. We strongly advise against this. We know where your wife works. We know where your kids go to school. We know your routine of work. And I'm sitting here going, who in the hell knows that? So I went down there and showed her. I said, I can't even do no, I'm not giving no list. I said, look at this shit. So I was showing it to the feds and uh, they, he still thinks it was somebody that was connected to the police force because I'm like, who in the world would know my routine to work? 
So, man, it was it was a lot of things. You know, you know, people look at that and go, ah, whatever. I said, you have no idea what was going through my mind. You know, they were talking 15, 20 years. You know, it was just constantly every day. Well, they want to make a deal. They want to do this. And if I'd have known what I know now, I'd have got an out-of-town lawyer and I'd have took it to the mask because it was illegal search and seizure, hands down. There's some other stuff that we're not at liberty to talk about now, but in the near future, hopefully we can. But you did get sentenced to 15 years. It was a pony show, brother. Right. So- he had to do it for the media. I had a signed thing from the judge saying I only had to do a 30-day shock probation. That was for the media. So it basically looked like, yeah, you're going to get it, but then I soft heart. And I'll tell you, that deal is almost unheard of. Wow. If you get sentenced to 15 years, a 30-day stint is most unreal. Yeah. That's what attracted uh, one of the guys from Netflix. They're saying you've done all this and you only get 30 days. And he said, we got to look into this. And see, one of the things that he, uh, Greg Harvey asked that no one asked, he said, make me understand something. He said, so here's what I don't understand. So they're sitting here fighting, saying they was Kirtley's. They never set foot on your property. The barrels were your property and all this. They never went over and looked at all that. I said, exactly. He said, now they're going into court saying, well, it wasn't your property anyway, so uh, we didn't have to have a warrant. He said, you can't have that both ways. I said, exactly. I said, you're the only one that's ever asked that question. Because I had a state police detective that was friends with our family for years. And he said, well, let me ask you this. What did 50 St. John's yield? I said, nothing. I said, the barrels were on the adjoining property. He leaned back. He said, well, how in the hell did they get a search warrant for your house? I said, you tell me. He said, they lied to the judge. Wow. But here's something people don't understand. If that had got thrown out of court, now think about this. They indicted nine people. They called it the Kurt Singer Nine. And one of the people they indicted was my father-in-law. Because one person they interviewed said he had a bottle of 23 year, and that was Greg Anglin, who they gave immunity to. I think that's hilarious. Hmm. They had to have nine people for the RICO effect. What's the RICO effect? Yeah, it's, the, it's, it's basically organized, organized crime. crime. Oh, it was that's it's what something it was. they put in place for like a mob and stuff like that. If there was if there was a certain number of individuals acting together to commit crime, then they could charge them using the RICO Act, which is basically an organized crime family. That's one of the things I can look at and joke about now, but hell, man, they, you know, I was sitting there and looking, I said, hell, they think I'm Tony Soprano or something. Yeah, right, right, right. Dude, it was crazy. I mean, it, it, it was ridiculous. You know, there were so many, when I got out of jail that day, there was like 10 TV cameras camped out all up down our road trying to get a uh, picture of us. And then every time we went into court and stuff. So, you know, when all that went down, they pleaded everybody out and, you know, with Alfred, please. And that was one of the things uh, my buddy over at Wild Turkey, Sean Searcy, I never knew what he got. So he pleaded an Alfred plea on the shelf. And if you don't know what that is, the Alfred plea, which is I'm not saying I'm guilty, but there's enough evidence. I could be found guilty in a court of law. But on the shelf is you sign that he puts on the shelf. So in this whole time, this man could still gun hunt. He could still go get a job at another distillery. It never showed up. He just got done with his five years in June, so he, his slate is clean. It's like it never happened. But I didn't even work at Wild Turkey. He did. And I had a, I got a felony from Wild Turkey, <laughs> which I can laugh about it now. It ain't funny, but what else? You- but even though, even though you were officially sentenced 15 years, they had already told you that you're just doing 30 days in jail. So that's posturing then. I had a signed statement saying 15. They, they wanted it over, which I was, man, I never been in trouble before. I didn't uh, know. I'll tell you the interesting part about that, Chris. The media was told and they seen that he was sentenced to 15 years. So the 30 days were not made public. 
Wow. That was kind of something that was, you know, done, but the media was told he was sentenced to 15 years. They seen he was sentenced to 15 years. And then the shock probation deal was done, you know, off the record. Was that, was that because they just wanted a conviction for this Pappy gate? And that's- they wanted conviction. They wanted it over. They wanted the investigation because it was starting to turn up. They were afraid something was going to come out. They didn't want to come out. Cause dude, you think about it. If here's something a lot of people don't know either. I mean, you think about this, you're a smart guy. The sheriff said he recovered 27 barrels of wild turkey. That's what he says. Okay, let's go with that. So you're saying I'm responsible. I went over at Wild Turkey, which they don't have a sign of a break-in. They have no missing barrels. I took 27 barrels from Wild Turkey and sold them. That's what you're saying. Let's go with that. Now, Wild Turkey puts out a statement. They have no missing barrels. So what's the bigger question you should be asking? (laughs) Tell from somewhere. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. How much are we talking about the worth of all these barrels and bottles of bourbon that were stolen? Well, I mean, there's no... In today's money? Oh, today's money. But, you know, back then, you know, like I said, I think a barrel was... It depends on what year, what they use it for. Anywhere from three to $4,500 then. But, you know, like I said, I could have got you one for 1000 if you wanted it. Like the 20-year Van Winkle was... I mean, you... You didn't sell it by the by most time, like a, a case of 12 back then, you could have got for about 500 bucks. Now you can't even touch one bottle for under three grand. Right. But it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, you could get it on the shelf for, you know, $100. So things like that. I mean, over the years, and, you know, they try to make it like it was every week this was here because the, the Commonwealth attorney came out and was saying it was my house was a staging point for massive steroid orders. It was that, that wasn't untrue. I said, I was telling my attorney at the time, I was like, hell, it could have been. Two months for anybody wanted anything. I said I didn't store shit in my house. You know, it's interesting to me because it also it's a, a, almost kind of like the end of Roadhouse when everybody shoots uh, the bad guy in the town. It's like it seems like the town was kind of rallying around you because you guys were basically all in it together. Yeah, and 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 that's what a lot of people don't see locally. They see you know international news coverage and they see it as this big heist and everything. But locally, a lot of people are like, okay, he done what a lot of people did and took bottles. The only difference was he was just moving them a little quicker than everybody else to a little more higher clientele. And one of the things that stung me was, and you know, I didn't look at it this way. I mean, hell, I knew a lot of, I had a lot of friends on the city police. I had a lot of friends on state police. I didn't really know anybody on the sheriff's department. I mean, I don't know if that would have mattered, but, you know, I get to looking at some of the things I found out about those detectives and that former sheriff. Well, hell, if I'd have known them ahead of time, none of this would ever come out. Hell, he'd have been right in there. He'd still been sheriff, wouldn't he? And see, that was an, that was another thing, too. I had a former jailer come up to me probably about four or five months after that went down. He And I knew him because uh, he lived beside of the broker my wife worked for in real estate. He pulled me to the side and asked me, he said, How's you, how are you doing? How are you and Julie doing? I was like, ah, I said, shit, man, it's rough. I said, you know, hell, I lost my job or insurance. I said, you know, I said, I don't know what's going on. He was like, well, man, I know. He said, I, I've been, I've lived here all my life. I know how it goes. He said, but you know the one damn thing I have a problem with? He said, that damn Pat Melton, he said, I just had two of his deputies tell me that he, about a month before all this happened to you, one of his friends farm out 
past where I live at, they went out and destroyed a barrel he was drinking out of. Hmm. I said, that don't surprise me. I said, man, it was floating around. I said, he cleared the slate and then he come in on me thinking that he uncovered this big. Th- I said, that shit's been going on for 250 years, people drinking whiskey. But it come back and it, I mean, it bit him because he thought he was going to be the next governor of Kentucky. Now he's a patrolman over in Georgetown, Kentucky. What happened with you, uh, Toby, after all this? So, so when you do, do, you did the 30 days and you get out. And then kind of where, where, where are things out for you then? You lost everything. I lost everything. I was, I mean, like I said, I, I, you know, things could have and should have been a whole lot better, but I tell you what, I thank God for what I've got now. My wife is stuck with me and loves me. My kids love me. I love my kids. And I always told people, man, I said, you know, as long as, as long as my parents and my two kids don't think I'm a piece of shit, I don't care what, because <laughs> man, you know, you cannot control what people think about you. And I tell you, you know, I don't, I mean, I've watched you for years on TV and you don't know me from that, but I mean, if we hung out, I mean, you see, I mean, I can get along. I don't mistreat people. I talk to everybody the same. I love talking to people. I'm a people person. And this dude, when they was running all this on here, I had to step back and I looked at my wife. I said, who in the hell are they talking about? Because they would get little bits of information and stretch like shooting my gun at people, sabotage. I'm like, who is, who is that? Yeah, I mean, uh, my aunt and uncle had a commercial painting business, and uh, she called me up. So I worked in commercial painting for seven, eight years. My sister, she's a warehouse foreman at Woodford Reserve, and she said, hey, I got this number. This guy's wanting to offer you a job, Jay Ballard, Bourbon Barrel Cottages. He, I go over and talk to him and his wife, Angie. So he was going to start doing tours. So we've got two Sprinter vans, and uh, he's got he's got Bourbon Barrel Cottages. He's got five cottages. It's, it's the only tour company in the world you That's can right. take a tour with the Bourbon King. If you want to come see me <laughs> and do a tour with – Netflix's Bourbon King, you just look us up. Bourbonbarrelcottages.com. But that's that's the one thing that Toby lost everything. I did. And Jay kind of saw his worth. And he was like, it's horrible that this happened, so let's see what we can do. And he said, I think we can, you know, recycle this story and help him out in some way. <laughs> and And so that's what he did. And now Toby gets to go out and share his knowledge of bourbon with people from all over the country and world that come in for these tours. and. He has a huge knowledge. I mean, you got to think he was around the distillery 26 for 26 years. years. So, I mean, the distilling process and everything, it's just, it's insane the amount of knowledge that he could share with that. And it's, it's valuable in some way. It's interesting to me that now the kind of delving into this with you, that this isn't so much a story about high, you know, thievery. It's more of a story of media manipulation and exactly. the county sheriff just trying to pin something big on you to make himself look good for the election. That's kind of what I'm getting here because the, because the, the, the bourbon's probably, let's say it's a hundred grand worth. I mean, that's a lot of money, but it's not exactly as big as Pappy gate and heists and all this stuff. It's pretty low level when you look at the big picture. And I'll tell you, it really drove up the price yeah. of Pappy Van Winkle. I tell you what, <laughs> you, you come back down, you get some time, you need to get out of jail. Buffalo trace now is the number one bourbon distillery in the world. They've done sunk in about a billion dollars over the last nine years since this happened. Any of their products, dude, you can't hardly find uh, the top shelf, and you got to wait on lines for hours to get whatever they have. I mean, it's it's crazy down there now. I was uh, been I've been in talks with Coastal Beverage out of North Carolina. We're real close to getting a bourbon label. Just got some investors. I got to line up, but. Uh, one of the things with that on, on that is of, of how everything has exploded. You know, nine years ago, 
they were trying to get over 40,000 visitors. Now they're hitting over, uh, they're close to 500,000 visitors a year at Buffalo Trace. They have made billions off this. It's crazy. And that's what the federal agent told me. Kind of laughed. He said, I know it sucks for you. He said, but you was the best uh, advertisement tool they could ever got. And uh, Mark Harris, which uh, Mark passed away, but owns a, a bourbon brokerage in, here in Midway, Kentucky. He showed me a text that Mark Brown sent him. Mark Brown, was, which was the CEO, he said, we could have never in a million years paid for this kind of publicity we just got off this. Well, yeah, it seems like you want to do the Toby brand bourbon, you know, the Pappy Gate bourbon. Might, might as well make something out of it, right? That's right. And if you if you know you or anybody interested, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Overall, like, I mean, something like this does change your life, like you said. I mean, when, especially like you mentioned, where there's a whole documentary where I think you you could admit you 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 did some some wrong things, oh, but yeah. also were really kind of pumped up and thrown under this media bus. Um, how does it feel to you now, all these years later, having gone through all this? Well, man, you know, like uh, I said, we go down to Buffalo Trace. I let people out. It's like I never worked there. Then I get I see a lot of my friends that still work there come up and talk to me in the van and stuff. Time is a true, true factor in making things easier. I always heard that, you know, like I said, it's going on nine years. It is a little easier. But, you know, the, the biggest thing I see, Chris, is what it done to my kids, my, which my son's a senior in Western Kentucky University. He's majoring in biology, wants to be in the medical field. My daughter's majoring in criminal psychology. But mentally, how it really changed them, you know, a lot of people say, you know, man, you 30 days. And I said, yeah, I said, I understand what you're saying. I said, but my punishment I'm all about family. I love my kids with every ounce of my body. And, you know, I get up every morning and when I sit there and I think about them all the time, but I think about what they went through. You know, Bella was in grade school. Cade was in junior high. The stuff that they had to endure from other kids. I think about that a lot. And it, just, it, it really kills me. Everybody that I know, everybody that knows me has seen all this. You know, everyone wants to have good integrity. I don't think I've ever, like, been cruel or mistreated anyone. But, you know, the way you were portrayed. But over time... And, you know, which things are going better than it is now. Is my life perfect? No. Never think I'd be here where I'm at? No. But, you know, one thing I tell people, I, I'm thankful for where I'm at. And I got to meet and talk to one of my wrestling heroes. I would have never <laughs> got to do that, man, if it had been to this. I, look, I try to look for positive things. Sure. In all this negative. I mean, what I mean, what am I going to sit there and just swim in, in all this? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to let my past destroy whatever future I got. And anything that I do, any, you know, any progress is for my two kids. I love my kids with everything. So last few things. So let's talk about something you guys mentioned earlier on about how, how, how popular bourbon is. You've been drinking some bourbon, Toby, that I see. Yes, sir. Yeah. Drinking Buffalo Trace is one of the rare tent here. <laughs> so what, what is it about bourbon? Because, I mean, when I was growing up, we used to drink rye, which is whiskey, rye whiskey. But my cousin, for example, is a huge bourbon connoisseur. When did this start becoming popular and what is the appeal of it? They're forever. It was just an old man's drink. Yeah, you know, like right. you, know, you, need, you, get, you and your cousin, they come down to do a tour with us. But we can hit some of the stories. But like uh, some of them we go to, like back in the, you know, 50s, 60s, bourbon was real good. And then it's like something switched. They, everybody went to the Cosmopolitans in the 70s and all that. So bourbon hit a really bad spot. A lot of the stories went out of business. Some of them, you know, some of the buildings shut down and then got rebought. But I think the Sergeant 84, when Elmer T. Lee honored Colonel Albert Bacon Blanton with Blanton's single barrel bourbon, gradually started getting it going and then when that started picking up steam you know bourbon got to be a little bit more popular the single barrel is really i think kind of resurrected bourbon in my opinion 
And then, uh, you know, as it got getting popular, and then everybody started doing, you know, like your older versions. Because when I started Buffalo Trace, they had two 10 years. They had the Blanton, which Elmer picked, and then they had the AAA, which was 86 and 80, which everyone drank. So that was kind of the bourbon everyone went to. Then your other bourbons, they kind of mixed. So as everybody got to doing the single barrel, then you started seeing a little bit more, you know, oh, this is a good eight. This is a good 10. This is a good 12. Then it, it gradually started picking momentum up. And then, you know, when Sazerac acquired the Van Winkle, it kind of, they kind of pushed it a little bit. But the 2013 really got it going because, you know, everybody's looking and you're like, this is this extreme. It's kind of like that Christmas story or toy that everybody's trying to get. Mm-hmm. So when the sheriff gets on there and blows this Van Winkle out about this extremely rare family secret recipe, everybody's like, what is that? And then they start looking at it. Then it goes crazy. And and it was it's crazy. And you know, Chris, from working around guys in the South over the years, I mean, people would have like a fifth of bourbon in their bag or whatever. But I mean, for a long time, it was literally like an old man's drink. I mean, right. nothing that was like popular. But now everybody they have bourbon young, bars, young girls, some of that liquor back in the day. You know, now you can't get a, a shot of it for under two hundred dollars. There's a place in Louisville called Watch Hill Proper that we go to. It's the world's largest bourbon bar. They have over 1,900 labels of bourbon. Now, they've got one. It's uh, The most expensive is an Eagle Rare, and I can't remember what year, but it's a, it's a crystal decanter. It's got an Eagle inside. It's $1,300 a pour. Wow. And they've got <laughs> the bottle is gone, bro. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. If, you, if you've got the money and you want to spend it, I guess it is. But, I mean, I like a good anywhere from 8 to 12 year. I like a single barrel, but I like I like I don't like mixing mine. I like mine neat, and I like it. At Casper, I like high proof uh, bourbon. And you're not supposed to put ice in it. You don't put any coal in it or anything like that. It's just pure bourbon, right? But now, see, one of the things going on now, they'll, they've got these like marble stones they'll put in the freezer. It'll get it cold, but it won't water it down. Some people like, I don't like water. I like mine because I, I was broke in drinking it out of the barrel. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hot warehouse. Yeah, in a hot warehouse. So that's, that's a little bit different. I mean, it just, and I tell people like when on my tours, you know, they'll ask, what's your favorite bourbon or what is the best bourbon? And I'm like, look, I'm going to explain something to you. I'll tell you what I like, but I really want to put forth everyone go and taste bourbons because my palate, it won't be like yours. Right. We might have similar things, but it's all different because I'm not a big rye drinker. Some people are. Yeah, well, rye was a big Canadian thing. Crown Royal rye. We used to go nuts on that. but. <laughs> Had, had to get off it for a while. So, <laughs> but guys, it's been great talking to you and hearing your experiences about all this and actually delving into what Pappy Gate really is. So, uh, I'm glad that you're feeling much better, Toby, and you're in a good place and enjoying that bourbon still. Thank you, Chris. And you need to come, you need to come see us, man. Come by. We'll uh, let you sample some of the rare stuff. Yeah. <laughs> all right, man. We'll keep in touch. I'll, I'll hit you up for next week. All right. All good right. luck tonight. Thank you, guys. Good talking to you. You too. 